Hey, New City, this is Damien. I'm excited for us to release right now our first non-sermon podcast. This is a part of our new Christian education and equipping, and this podcast is an intro to our fall sermon series in Ephesians. Recently, I sat down with Mike Allen, who's on our teaching team, one of our own. He's a professor at uh, RTS here in Orlando. He teaches systematic theology, and currently he's actually writing a theological commentary on the book of Ephesians. And when we sat down, we had a conversation about why both of us are excited to walk through Ephesians with you all as a sermon series. It'll take us from next week all the way until Advent. And some of the topics we talked about were a background to Ephesians, what's happening, what are the themes in the book, as well as how can you and I, week in and week out, prepare for Ephesians, and how can we follow along during the sermon series itself. All right, so Mike, we're here to talk about Ephesians today. Excellent. Is that right? That's right. That's that's what I planned on talking about. So I have a question for you. I read this last week, and I want to know if it's true to your knowledge. Can you affirm or deny the fact that Ephesians was John Calvin's favorite letter? I actually can't affirm or deny that it was John Calvin's favorite letter. It wouldn't be shocking, but... So, yeah. So, here's the deal. When I read that, there was no reference given, and that, that always makes me nervous. Yeah. But it was John Stott who said it. It sounds good. So it's plausible. Is what we can saying. go with it. It's plausible. Yeah. Well, I like to think that it is, at least right now, that it's John Calvin's favorite letter. <laughs> and as, as I think about Ephesians, we'll get into this a little bit later, but as I was planning out the year, uh, the rest of the year for sermon series, I thought that Ephesians would be an excellent book after having just spent weeks talking about what we mean by whole life disciple, how that might impact the way we live, what we're called to in the church and in the world in Christ. So all of these things, I thought Ephesians is a great place to go. So we'll get into that more later. But as I engaged you on the idea of Ephesians, I learned that you've been thinking a lot about Ephesians lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you were telling me about that, you broke into a flow of thought or an outline of Ephesians concepts, themes from the book that you had been thinking of and you had seen. And that sort of confirmed to me, yes, Ephesians is where we're going to go next. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about Ephesians coming up. But uh, a lot of people, when they they think about Ephesians, although it's a pretty small book, it's very rich, very succinct, potent even with theological concepts, rich in implications for the Christian life, relationships, all types of things. With that, I'd like to start off giving you an open mic on telling us about the flow of the book, certain themes that we'll find as we walk through Ephesians. Yeah, there there's so many themes and famous verses that different people in different seasons or different traditions will emphasize. Uh, you know, by grace you've been saved. Uh, you know, that we're brought in one body through the cross, mm. reconciled. Uh, texts about spiritual warfare, mm. uh, texts about election. Uh, what, what maybe is often missed is that there is this remarkable coherence and a flow to what's going on in the letter. And it is a letter. Mm. Uh, it's, it's something that Paul has written 
and it it's a letter that's not tied as directly to particular people. Uh, in fact, there's there's a good argument that it's meant right off the bat to circulate to a whole host of churches and not so much just to be to one. Uh, and and part of that is that it's not responding to a crisis. So this is like what what Paul gets to say when he's free to say what he wants to say mm. when he's not having to you know go respond and discipline a child or or deal with a crisis next door at the neighbor's house. This is what he gets to do in his free time. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable. He talks about uh, the way in which there is more to be seen, the way in which there's uh, more power, more love, more knowledge, more life. Uh, and so he, at the beginning of the letter, opens up uh, reflecting uh, back into eternity and then into the, uh, the coming of Christ and pointing out that this is this is the more blessing that God has for his people. And uh, then he prays that they would know more of that power and love and that it would transform them. And uh, throughout the first half of the letter, he, he describes in four different ways how God's power mm. has been shown in, in raising Christ and exalting him on high, in saving sinners from death, in reconciling folks who as yet have been segregated or separated, kept apart, unreconciled, and then in giving uh, mission and purpose and vocation, the apostolic calling. Um, And by the end of the third of the six chapters, he wraps up in prayer again, and he he sort of repeats the prayer that uh, having looked at all those four different things, he he wants them to know the height and depth mm-hmm. and width and breadth of God's love for them and the power that God has shown to them. And so the first half is this just long, beautiful, kind of multi-layered reflection on what it means for the God of power uh, to put that power to our benefit. And then the second half really describes how that changes every sphere of life, relationships, yeah. uh, our sense of self, our sense of purpose, uh, our community, uh, our engagement of spiritual battle. Mm. Uh, how we use our bodies and our sex lives, our money, um, our families. And so it really, it describes maturity and Mm. what we could call completeness or wholeness, integrity, uh, how God's power and love, uh, how being aware of that uh, opens us up to love as, as we've been loved, to act as those who've been adopted. um, And, uh, really to attain the fullness of Christ, as he describes it. Yeah, that's so good. I think a couple of things, you spoke to the unity of the book, and I oftentimes have seen and even experienced in my own life that that part of the end on spiritual warfare as though it was some sort of tag on at the end, right? Like it doesn't belong in some way. But in fact, when we do understand that Paul is describing this the, the life of uh, of a new society in Christ, the life of the body of Christ, uh, to uh, living a life that's worthy of this new life that we've been given, that God is bringing into the world. Then all of a sudden, you see that that actually is is part of this life. So, w- could you speak to that in some way uh, of how this idea of spiritual warfare um, plays into it? And the reason why I'll tell you why. That's not just random that I'm, that I'm bringing up. One of the things that you said was that when we read Ephesians, we see that there's more, and this is an invitation to more. But oftentimes in our current 
society, Christianity can be viewed as an invitation to less, actually. Uh, it's, it's only about what we're giving up as opposed to what we get or what God is offering in Christ. So with those two things in mind that I picked up on that you said, I'd love you to speak to that. Yeah, if you think about sort of wide angle or narrow angle lenses, there are different ways of looking at a problem, aren't there? And, and they can have different benefits. Ephesians presents a wide angle lens um, at our lives. And so if it's talking about sin, say in chapter two, it's going to describe sin in a number of ways that we're walking according to the patterns of this world. We're being uh, socially malformed, peer pressure, intentional, unintentional ways that, that we're, we're, we're going along with the crowd, even if we don't know it. Uh, it's going to describe how we have a sin nature. We're children by wrath. It's going to describe how uh, we're being oppressed by the prince of the power of the air. There's a spiritual element. So it doesn't play off sort of the demonic and satanic uh, or the intrinsic and natural or the social uh, elements of sin. In the same way, as we think about the Christian life and, and what it means in Christ to start to walk in the light and to walk in light of, of more reality, mm. uh, it means a number of things. Uh, it means that we're going to walk amongst brothers and sisters. And so yeah, there's good. a lot that's about community, about social relationships. Uh, chapter four begins there and it, it keeps reappearing throughout chapters four, five, and six in different ways. And that's crucial. Uh, it, it's going to talk about how we're going to walk in ways that are guided by God's word, which mm. becomes a, a key element in the middle of chapter four and chapter five, especially. Uh, but there's also this other layer that we're going to walk in the light, and that's going to mean that uh, we're going to be a part of this great battle. And yeah. chapter six, especially famously, describes uh, you know the, the the armor of God and the armor that's necessary because we don't merely battle against bad social forces or our own sinful proclivities, but there is a, there is a big cosmic war going on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating that most of us in the West don't think that way. Mm. Most Christians around the world do. Uh, but we in the West tend to think that that, you know, that sounds too much like Harry Potter or something. Mm. Um, and, uh, so it, it's a challenge to hear Paul saying that we need to know what we're up against and we need to know that so that we can be equipped. And then when he talks about what we're equipped with, uh, it, you know, it's not hocus pocus magic stuff. It's, it's the basics of the Christian life. Yeah. And so the armor, um, you know, they're not these extra tools that are somehow wildly, you know, imaginative or something. They're they're the basic rhythms of Christian integrity and wholeness of, of the kind of maturity that we find described earlier in the epistle. Um, and, and so, you know, the way in which he addresses what seems to be so very supernatural and so very spiritual, um, that kind of warfare, he actually brings it back to the main thrust of the letter mm. and doesn't let us think of it as being sort of this sci-fi kind of stuff. But remembering that all of our lives are, are charged with this kind of spiritual grandeur. All of our lives are under threat of spiritual attack. Uh, and that all of Christ's gifts are meant to strengthen and sustain us in that kind of spiritual vocation. Mm. Um, and so it's like a, another dimension that we're able to see, another way that he gives us a lens just to look at 
at the lives we're already leading. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I, that is, it is an invitation to more. There's always so much more going on. And, and because of our context, we oftentimes have, we fall into this enlightenment, progressive mentality where things are always getting better, which means that religion or things we don't understand dimensions, you use that mm. word, that we may not be able to access given certain tools that we, we think are, are, uh, relevant. But those things actually do exist. And, and Paul, um, is, is, is speaking something that's always been true and always will be true. Now, I want, I want to come back to one thing that you said earlier, which is interesting, and that is Ephesians is this letter that we think is, was meant to circulate uh, to many churches in a region. And, and you said and Ephesians in that sense is like Paul getting to do what he's free to do, and you use that word free, and yet he's in prison while he's writing this letter. And I'm interested just in general how you might speak to what's happening or, or where this might fit in Paul's life and how that helps us understand Ephesians. Yeah, it's one of what are known as the prison epistles. And so Paul has been some way down the road in his, not just Christian discipleship, but his vocation. And Ephesians 3 is where he talks about that more than anywhere else, um, where he describes the fact that his being an apostle is a mysterious gift. Uh, It's a demonstration of God's power. Mm. He'll refer to his chains, but what's remarkable is he says almost nothing about his condition. Uh, he's he's not terribly taken uh, by the particularities of his situation. Uh, he's helping people see uh, why that's not a reason to disbelieve and helping people to see why that's a part of God's wise providence, mm. uh, his wise calling his wise strategy for expanding the gospel at this point around the Mediterranean world. And, and so he describes it as a demonstration of God's power and a, a gift of the gospel uh, and a means by which the gospel gets out and reaches people, which is a really strange, ironic thing to say about somebody sitting in a prison cell mm. uh, in what would have been a, a grimy and tough life situation. Yeah. Um, and you know, a, a prison in the Roman world is is far worse by and large than what we would think of today in, in the U.S. And uh, from that spot, you know, he's able to continue to testify to Christ. He's able to address other congregations that he's he's had relationships with, and and here he's able to write this letter that just remarkably isn't marked by a single problem that it's got to respond to, but takes sort of this widest angle view, mm. uh, which is why some people say that Ephesians is the closest thing to a description of sort of what Paul believes in general, mm. um, just because he's he's not quite as focused on one particular dilemma or crisis. Um, you know, there are limits to that. It, it doesn't say everything that he says in other letters, and of course there's there's stuff that he must have thought that didn't make it into any of the letters that we've got. Uh, but it is this remarkable vision uh, for someone who's been ministering for so long, who's uh, in many ways been through the, the refiner's fire here, who's in prison, mm. priorities are organized, Yeah, uh, who hasn't grown bitter but has grown resolved uh, and provides you know, this widest, most beautiful portrait of what the hope of God is for us. Yeah. Well, I think in the series itself, there's no doubt that 
Paul's particular historical moment and what he was experiencing in his life will come to bear as we think about what was happening when he wrote this and how that is applicable to us. And that will move me on to the second thing I want to talk about, and that is why we are excited about preaching through the book of Ephesians. I already mentioned earlier that for me, Ephesians increasingly became an obvious choice for us to preach through having just spent a lot of the summer now talking about our mission of making whole life disciples for their callings. And uh, as you mentioned, Ephesians uh, speaks to life in this body of Christ, in this new society that Jesus is creating. Uh, It's an invitation to follow him in every area of our life. So it talks about relationships and uh, spiritual warfare and things we've already mentioned. And so for me, it fit in the life of the church really well uh, right now, which made it obvious. Um, I also think it's, a, it's an incredibly relevant book uh, for us right now as it talks about the importance of reconciliation, as it talks about the importance of relationships, uh, of how we ought to understand the body of Christ. Um, there, there are certain ways, I think, that we have come in our moment in time to think about the church uh, in unhelpful ways, uh, very... Uh, tribalistic, um, these types of things. And while distinctions make sense, um, this part of this more, I think, that Paul is calling us back to is, is a vision of the church that we don't often think of. Uh, it's a vision of, of, of peace relationally in light of what God has done in Jesus and is doing uh, in Jesus. And so these are some of the reasons why I think uh, it's very relevant for us to go, to go through Ephesians. What are some of the things you think about what gets you excited that we're preaching through Ephesians right now? Yeah, I, I think it makes all sorts of sense for us to focus on a text that actually talks about and to some extent provides kind of an anatomy of maturity. Yeah, good. You know, as we look at our human selves and our human society, the church and then the wider world even to some extent, uh, you know, actually focusing on what does integrity, what does love, what does service and compassion look like in this area of my life and in these resources and how I deploy them and in this this time and how I invest it in these relationships and how I approach them. Uh, You know, that's crucial because I think if we're honest, we would certainly want to say that uh, we're in a, a time where even Christians by and large experience a sort of a, a lack of mature judgment and discernment in that regard. And there's a whole host of things that, that witness to that. At the same time, Ephesians is the remarkable text that while it, it gets so terribly practical with looking at all of that, particularly in chapters four to six, uh, it is repeatedly and insistently reminding us throughout and preparing us for that, especially in chapters one to three, that we need to be focused always upon God, Mm. upon God who's before us, upon God whose power is promised unto us, upon God who is active even in our midst. And it's so easy as we start focusing on maturity and and integrity in different areas of our life to be forgetful. You know, Mm. I'm reminded in the Old Testament of how often Israel has to be told, remember, 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 don't forget. Uh, and, and I don't think that's partic- particularly because they're 
worse than us or anything. Uh, we fall into the same forgetfulness yeah. so easily. And uh, so Ephesians helps us in that regard. I mean, other books of the Bible do this, but I can't think of one that is as insistent and in your face with describing concrete Christian character and discipleship and at the same time uh, prompting you again and again to the presence and the power of God mm. and of the gospel uh, and, and of actually showing you how what you're called to do and to live only makes sense in light of that presence and power of God in his gospel work. And so, I, you know, I think that's a remarkable help for us that yeah. we, as we grow in trying to live out uh, what Ephesians will describe as mature manhood or the, the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, sort of integrity in every sphere, uh, that doesn't mean leaning less on Jesus, mm. but learning how to lean on more and more of Jesus in each sphere of our lives. Yeah. <clears throat> I've heard somebody say, I don't remember who, that Ephesians is a book about what it means to grow up in Christ. And I think that I, I hear you saying that. I, I hear you saying that an invitation to more is never an invitation beyond Christ or past mm. him. It's 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 to use the C.S. Lewis phrase of further up and further in, a, a deeply rooted life in Christ as our minds are captured by all that God is doing, who he is, and um, and how we participate in that, In like you said, in very practical, specific ways. Because I find that there are times in my Christian life uh, when I've heard or think that for my mind to be on God, for example, uh, that somehow that is removed from my life with my neighbor or my life uh, with you right now or raising my kids. But, but in fact, I mean, in the first three chapters, some of the language that Paul uses is, is so challenging in terms of its invitation, in terms of taking it seriously, what he's saying, that you, you could almost uh, find yourself bewildered by how practical he does get in, in the end of the book. But, but for Paul... The, the grandeur and beauty of who God is and what he's doing is the very motivation and driver, it seems, for how and why we would live the way he calls us to live in these practical ways. Yeah, and I think that's a great way of seeing why it's appropriate for us as a congregation to, to move here now. If in the summer, one of the key texts for us has been John 15 and the idea of abiding in the vine, it's, it's in that text talking about um, you know, being fruitful, which is a practical reality. That's a lived yes. reality. That's not just an abstraction or something. Uh, but John 15 doesn't get terribly specific about what that means. Right. right. It, it only tells you you're only going to be fruitful in the vine, in Christ. You're going to have to grow up in Christ, which is a, a crucial truth. And, and that was something essential for Jesus to tell his apostles before he died and had to depart. Um, Ephesians, it really sort of puts color on that. It, it gives us detail. What does it mean to abide in the vine? What does it mean to grow up in Christ, mm. as Eugene Peterson will put it? Uh, what does it mean for us to, in every nook and cranny of our lives, lean into gospel promises? Mm. 
and to a community that cherishes that and into moral behaviors of self-sacrificial service that are going to display that and into a mission that's going to extend that. Mm. Um, and so it, it seems to me that it, you know, it's, it's as though time we've spent in John 15 this summer is sort of the 30,000 foot level description of this truth. And Ephesians is where you start to actually see what the neighborhood looks like when mm. you come down a, a bit lower. Um, and you know, that, that seems to me so terribly significant for, uh, folks who are thinking about, um, how to approach their marriages, how to think about, uh, maybe unreconciled relationships and, mm. and how they ought to approach that. Um, what our responsibility is in, in, as Christians with our bodies yeah. and, uh, our sex lives with our money with how we think about neighbors around us who aren't Christians, with our words, with the temptation to gossip, with all sorts of terribly mm. specific and real things. Uh, what does abiding in the vine look mm. like? What does growing up in Christ actually look like? And it seems to me that's that's a crucial thing for a group like us trying to grow into maturity. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So as we wrap up... Uh, what are some resources that you have found helpful that you'd recommend people could engage along the way as they're coming on Sundays, as they're reading the text on their own, as we're reflecting together, what are some helpful resources that you would recommend to people? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the first thing is just to be reading the text and ideally the whole text at some point. Yeah. It's a letter. It's not a terribly long letter. Well, it's letter Longer than most of the letters we write, but <laughs> that's right. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a small book of the Bible, and so to read or even perhaps better to hear it yeah. as early Christians would have is incredibly helpful, and to do that repeatedly as we're working through it this fall, uh, that's something I look forward to doing every week is is listening to it mm. in that regard, um, catching different things. Uh, there are great books out there uh, of of all different sorts, and. Uh, I could just mention uh, one from long ago and then one from recent days. Uh, there's a number of commentaries that John Calvin wrote, and I don't know if Ephesians was his favorite book, as the, the quote seems to suggest, but uh, he wrote a, a splendid commentary on Ephesians. It's, it's about 100 pages. It's not terribly long. It's incredibly brief and to the point as he works his way through and uh, you can get it for free online. Mm. Google your way to it. Um, and uh, then a, a contemporary book that I found just so helpful uh, is Eugene Peterson's book, Practice Resurrection, mm. uh, where he's getting at that idea of God's resurrection power uh, that we oftentimes miss and that we need to be alerted to, and then how that shapes practice. Yeah. How you live being alert to that more, to the the active presence and agency of Jesus mm. in your life. And it, it just moves sequentially through Ephesians, uh, section by section. And uh, it's not a, a commentary per se. It's a, it's a pastor reflecting on how uh, different parts of the epistle shape Christian living. Uh, it, it's, it's just... Peterson riffing on different lines and phrases and talking about how they relate to other parts of the Bible, but especially how they relate to the idea of God seeking to grow us up in Christ 
the main theme. And uh, it, if, if folks could read any one thing, I think that would be the one I'd recommend. That's great. Those are very helpful, practical things that I will be doing myself. As you mentioned, you will be doing the same. So our invitation is for people to lean into this, for people to prepare themselves as we are all journeying together in this desire to grow up in Christ, to be mature, to become more human, to uh, engage all that God has called us to. And it seems like over the next 15 to 16 weeks as we engage Ephesians, uh, all of these things in various ways are going to present themselves for our consideration, uh, for our response, and for our growing dependency on God's power and not our own power as we seek to to grow up in Christ. Would you add any last thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think what a what a great text to focus on, particularly in a time, I mean, we often speak about living in a secular age. Yeah. And, you know, we all need to be conscious of the fact that that's going to seep into our own lives. And so, you know, I think this is a great time for folks to lean into that which you will not catch on your Twitter feed or on the evening news uh, or on your Google reader. Uh, no one out there is speaking up for what the risen Jesus is doing today. Mm. Uh, how he's active, how how he's involved, how he hasn't abandoned his church. And so we get to listen to Paul talk about what the risen Christ is up to, to how wide and deep and big his love is, and how his power is committed to our, our good, uh, and how he's enfolded us into this gospel work. So I, I think leaning in is exactly the right image, um, and praying that God would make us alert, mm. you know, that we would take the prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3 is our own as we journey through the series, um, and that we would, we would know more, that, that our eyes would be opened, that we would be alert and awakened uh, and more attentive to the more that is there to be seen and loved. And so I, I would just encourage folks to, to prayerfully make that our, our aspiration. Yeah, that's great. That's a good word. I look forward to preaching through it with you and journeying through it uh, with the rest of New City. It'll be a fun trek. I'm looking forward to it. All right.